Hi, listeners. We want to tell you about some upcoming live events where you can join Kate and I. We're excited to announce that our upcoming Tend Her 3.0 program is happening. This is our third year in a row where we've received a grant that allows us to offer this program for free for up to 1,000 women. Our theme this year is resilience. We've realized these fast-moving times that are filled with lots of complexity require resilience. So in this four-week online program, we're going to be learning the science of resiliency, as well as all the tools that we need to strengthen our resiliency muscle. Registration for this opens October 4, and the program starts October 23. In addition, we are so excited to announce that this year we're adding to the Tend Her program an in-person Women's Resiliency Summit on Friday, November 17th from 9 to 4 p.m. It's going to be held at Little Lights on the Lane. Registration for this event will open October 23rd, the first day of the Tend Her 3.0 program. If you want to be first to know, follow us on Instagram at Kate Moreland Coaching, at Dr. Yoga Mama, and at Tend Her Wild. Last but certainly not least, consider joining Kate and I for a full live and in-person week of rewilding in the wilds of Costa Rica on yoga and meditation retreat, May 11th to the 18th, this coming 2024. Space is limited, but for more information on this event and how to register, go to www.oneyogaglobal.com. That's O-N-E, yogaglobal.com. This episode is being sponsored by Revival, a women-owned and operated clothing store located in downtown Iowa City, offers a curated selection of modern, resale, and vintage clothing and gifts. Revival focuses on brands that empower women and promote ethical and sustainable practices. Making sure your wardrobe and your style look great while doing our planet and community good. Celebrating 20 years this fall, find them on the Ped Mall in downtown Iowa City or shop 24-7 online at RevivalIwaCity.com. Use promo code TENDHER23 for 15% off your purchase. Who are you before you lost your wild self? That's what we're helping you explore on the Tend Her Wild podcast. Through questions and tools around how best to listen to your inner voice, rewild ourselves, and live the most authentic life where we thrive instead of survive. I'm Betsy. And I'm Kate. And we're so glad you've joined us for this episode. Tend to our wild podcast listeners. We are thrilled today to welcome a very special guest, Michaela Bohm, all the way from Ojai, California. I want to tell you a little bit about Michaela. I've known about her work for many years. Uh, she travels and teaches internationally as an expert in intimacy, relationship, and sexuality. She's a gifted speaker and counselor, and her unique body of work centers around the intersection of intimacy and embodiment. Michaela has an extensive in-person counseling background, clinical experience in trauma and addiction, and innovative somatic approach, which is how I found her and why I'm so excited to talk to her today. She also has done some pretty phenomenal work with celebrity couples like Will Smith and Gwyneth Paltrow, and you may know her work 
from a six-part Netflix show called Sex, Love, and Goop, which by the way, I loved. I yes. watched every second of it as soon as it came out. And when I saw you on it, it was like, oh, that's the woman. I've read her book and been following her. So excited to talk about that. Michaela's also the creator of Nonlinear Movement Method, a somatic release modality, uh, which we're going to talk about today. And if you work with me, you hear me talk about Michaela's nonlinear movement all the time. So excited to get deeper into that. And then she wrote a book called The Wild Woman's Way, which lines up beautifully with everything we talk about on this podcast. So welcome, Michaela. Welcome. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for showing up. So we always like to start every podcast with our guest in asking a question about sharing your first 10 years. But I really want to say to you, I think it's more like your first 12, because one of my favorite lines in your book is when I was 12, I decided decided to become become a witch. (laughs) So (laughs) would you be willing to share with us your upbringing, maybe early experiences, the things that really informed, and I love how your life has come so full circle and um, just share with our listeners how your life started and what was important to you during those first 12 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a very fortunate upbringing in both uh, location and uh, familial circumstances in the sense that I grew up in Salzburg, Austria, which is a really, really gorgeous place to begin with. And my parents uh, built a house uh, maybe 20 minutes outside the city. So it was very rural and uh, very wild. They were It wasn't built up back then, obviously. And so I spent my early years roaming the countryside, essentially, without, um, you know, much supervision in the sense that we were allowed outside and climbing trees and swimming in ponds and all those kind of things, because that was still possible at that moment in time. So I got to ride horses and, you know, hang out with the cows and uh, take uh, the the an inner tube down a, a, a beautiful uh, kind of a river towards a, an old mill and you know many other really cool things. So I had a very, very natural upbringing in the sense that I was out every single day during the summer and in the winter. I would go skiing um, every moment we could because that's what you do when you live in that part of the world. Nice. And my father was very active. So that's kind of the environment and my parents are just really, really cool and um, very open and and uh, interesting people. So uh, I did have the kind of upbringing that allowed me to want to be a witch and that not be a problem. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so uh, meaning, uh, obviously, you know, um, my parents humored my career choices only insofar that nobody shut me down. Um, uh, you know, there was no real danger of me finding, a, you know, uh, a witch's education in Austria, of course, but I did the next best thing, which was I learned all about herbs and herb lore and, um, you know, the rituals around that. And uh, the area I grew up in is the area of Austria where Rudolf Steiner came from. So the, all of the Steiner practices are based on Celtic, you know, practices. And so I was really steeped in that from an early age. And so when I decided to become a witch, um, I had plenty of access to material and training and people and and circumstances where that was um, seen as, you know, normal. And when I'm saying 
which of course I'm not talking um, evil, you know, uh, spell casting, whatever people think, but I'm talking about healing and herbs and ritual and practice and, um, you know, all those kind of things. So mm -hmm. that was, that was my first 12 years. <laughs> and you had a beautiful mentor that really helped shape. Yes, I, had, I had several. And I think in the context of what we're talking about, I do have to give my mother the first dibs mm -hmm. on mentoring and, and raising me because, and that of course, but as you look back, you don't see those things in your twenties or even in your thirties. But now when I look back at my mother's influence and um, how she set me up really allowed me to be with my mentors and teachers because she was so creative and she was so open and curious to new experiences. And she had such a very meticulous way of cooking and decorating and crafts and art that she kind of set me up to be able to be taught in a very structured and, and interesting way. And so my very first mentor was, was an herbal healer uh, from whom I learned um, wild, you know, wild crafting herbal lotions and potions and also learned a lot about um, mushrooms, connect, uh, collecting mushrooms, um, what's poisonous, what's not poisonous, those kind of things. Also, where do you find them? When do you find them? How do they, you know, sit together in the forest? How do you get in the forest without interfering with animals or wildlife? All of those things I learned very early with about 12. And then in, uh, yeah, I was really, really, you know, I was very blessed. And then once again, my father was, you know, very, um, connected with hiking and the woods and nature and also knew those things. So every weekend we'd be out uh, in nature and that was really, really formative. And then I had uh, a much more formal mentor who I was with for close to 15 years, 14 yeah. years. And I, and she has a background in Kashmir Shaivism, which I'm really interested in because that is that's also the lineage that I came from in my yoga training. Um, and it sounds like you have, you are, because you're part of the lineage, it's been part of your life mission to carry and teach and bring forth what you learned from her. Um, and I just want to know more about that, that <laughs> all sides. I mean, I know we could talk for a full hour on that, so you can be judicious about which parts you share, but this idea of carrying forth um, respectfully the, the deep knowledge. And it seems like it's been such a part of how your life has evolved. Yeah. Interestingly enough, that, that is how my life evolved. But of course, once again, you don't appreciate these things in the early years, so to speak, because it's just what you do. Right. So I was definitely a very nerdy kind of a girl. So I loved uh, practicing and studying and, doing things that were kind of a bit far out there and uh you know so i had i had a tendency towards that and my teacher uh, was the lineage holder of a kashmiri shaivist actually a shakta tradition to be completely clear but most people don't know the difference so it's close enough but within that shakta tradition uh the lineage this was a female only shakta tradition and so within that lineage um, the practices and the knowledge would be passed down from woman to woman. And um, it's what is called 
a li living lineage in the context of it gets adapted by each lineage holder based on their life because it's a household lineage. And so what's really nice about that is that it allows for each of the women to find their expression of the practice. And but it's, of course, also a bit harder because uh, you can't just rely on a text or a set of instructions that you wrotely pass on. So um, it's, you know, it's very much an embodied and, and rather, um, let's say, I don't know what the word would be, esoteric in the proper sense of the word, meaning a lot of it is hidden till you can understand it. And then, of course, it's obvious. Uh, so with that said, I spent quite a bit of time and, and quite a bit of energy and and attention on practice and on exploring these things. But they weren't always that apparent to me because often these things looked very simple, like making chai, for instance. Yeah. But of course, um, you, you can learn distinctions and feeling distinctions and embodiment and um, you know finer sense of how things layer in your system by making chai. But that's not apparent when you start making chai. And uh, one of the things that my teacher was very, very, uh, you know, very big on, and so was my mother, and so am I, is that everything's sacred. Mm -hmm. And meaning the most ordinary things are sacred, and actually the things that people have to do to show how sacred they are, are actually not that sacred. Meaning, you know, the sacred's ordinary, the ordinary is sacred. And that's a very, very important aspect of my lineage where um, it, it just fits well with all the other parts of me where everything counts and nothing counts, so to speak. Right. Well, I would love to hear from you and have you share your Yes, overall picture of the wild woman, because we've talked a lot about that on this podcast with various people. And I never, I've never read a piece so powerful uh, that depicts really how the wild woman is described. And so would you share with our listeners just your, your definition of the wild woman and, and kind of summarize that because we'll get into the way to, to reconnect to it, but what is it? Hmm. You're asking. Well, I think the first thing to be said is that the wild woman is an archetype, right? And so when we look at archetypes, of course, archetypes have really been brought into awareness by Carl Jung, uh, you know, the very famous uh, psychologist, psychotherapist. And um, within the context of archetypes, what we're looking at in general is human experience uh, brought alive through um, archetypal expressions, both in in the person, like as a person, so to speak, or as a expression of a person, like the wild woman, or, you know, there's many archetypes, but also in myth and story that essentially reflects the human experience from the beginning of time. Now, that, of course, always existed long before Carl Jung brought attention to it in the form of folklore, origin myths, epics, stories, um, you know, which exist since pre 
written uh, times or pre-writing times. So when we look at the wild woman, what we're looking at is a, is a representation of something that we all carry, men and women alike. This is not necessarily gender specific at all, even if it's called the wild woman. And it's the part of us that is connected to nature and connected to the nature that is the rhythms and cycles around us and all the way, you know, from um, right underneath our feet to the furthest reaches of the universe uh, and the pulse of that particular um, connection with nature that all humans carry. And then from there, the reconnection or the, the connection and the reconnection, because like, unfortunately we've lost a lot of that for many reasons with the our original nature, meaning with who we truly are before we had to bend and shape ourselves so that we are lovable or acceptable or um, stay alive, right? Which we all have to do in some form. So the wild woman is essentially the representation of us as a natural being in the natural world and in the way that we can express when nothing's required of us other than our natural joy and and connection so do you think everyone gets disconnected if if this wild uh archetype is in all of us i i feel like this wild woman archetype tracked me for a long time before i paid attention to her i i can look back and see early 20s uh symbols of this pull that i was stuck in good girl. I was stuck in achieving. I was stuck in, I think you called it the plight of the modern woman um, before, you know, an incidence of illness like cracked me open. And uh, then I was really face to face with this wild woman energy. And so I'm curious from even in your life, like, did you lose it? Or, I mean, she was clearly there at 12 when you wanted to be a witch and you were learning these. I mean, are there some people that are able to kind of have a relationship with this energy, this archetype, and they never quite lose it? Or do you believe in modern culture, everyone somehow gets disconnected and then we have to find our way back to it? I think it's both in a certain way, because I do think we all have it and it's never lost. Right? It's always there somewhere, but um, how much of it we access depends on the circumstances. And I think it's really important to say that that's not always bad, um, just in the context of there's so much dogma around how we should be, particularly not only as women, but particularly in the context of you know, some of what we're talking about, where you see all the new, you know, the, the newest round of Instagram influencers yeah. squat in the woods, uh, you know, looking all wild. Uh, but that's, you know, like, like ranged or whatever, or talking about whatever, right? And right. it's, it's like, it it's so, it's so easy to get sucked into the dogma of the wild woman just being yet another thing that we can somehow acquire because we're not good enough as who we are right. and you know that's a great marketing ploy you know and um it, it it happens over and over and over in every generation of people who you know uh, who start out is is that they go oh well it's gone i can bring it back for people and make a living Mm. No, the best you can do as any facilitator is you can 
um, allow people to reconnect what, with what's always already been there. And so I don't think we ever lose it because we have a body and we're human beings and we're intricately connected with our world in the sense that for every human being, the sun rises in the morning and goes to, you know, goes down at night. For every human being, there's circadian rhythms. For every uh, human being who has female sex hormones coursing through their system, there are certain cycles. Uh, you know, hormonal cycles, monthly, daily, uh, in, you know, over over a lifetime, all of those kind of things. So you don't ever lose it. It's just, do you have the time, the knowledge, or the luxury to do that? And when I'm saying luxury, yeah. is when we are in survival mode, right? Meaning we do need to make a living. We have multiple layers of demand on us, then um, that's maybe not the first thing people go to mm. uh, out of the the need for other things. So have do we lose it? Yeah, I think all of us lose it on occasion. Can we have it back? Yes, absolutely, because it's our birthright. It's part of who we are. And so I think the important piece here is to say when you have access to those parts of you and when you, what nowadays is called rewild yourself, meaning you reconnect to the natural world, then that is a tool that's invaluable, even if you're in survival mode, even if you're stressful, stressful, you have a stressful life, even when you are having trauma or grief or things like that. But um do we get disconnected even on a daily basis? Yes, absolutely. Can we reconnect? Yes, absolutely. That's such a good reminder that it's not it's not an, a place you arrive at and, and then stay. stay. <laughs> yeah, it is daily a daily effort commitment and yeah. recognizing when you've moved away from it and the circumstances or what's happening. When you talk about the plight of the modern woman, I can tell you. Um, the story of Caitlin in your book, I'm Kate. Um, I'm a lawyer who left her role as a lawyer. I resonated so much with that story. And I, as a coach and working with people, you know, looking to find their purpose and, and transition into new opportunities, I, I really feel like there's such a, um, such a pattern that is, I picked up on, I guess, with the stories of these women, how many choices we have and our generation, especially believing we could have it all and reaching a point where we, it set us up to fail in a way, because it's, it's simply, as you say, it's not possible to have it all at once. So what would you say, or what, you know, can you share with us really the stress and overwhelm that we often feel because we're trying to do so much so well all the time, you know, in, 2023, how do we navigate this world that is moving so fast and we have so many roles to play? How does the wild woman navigate that? Mm -hmm. Well, I sometimes call it the superwoman syndrome, right? Because we all we all have shades of that unless you live far out in the woods and you don't have to make a living. And, you know, uh, which I is think that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. A lot of days. It sounds really good. Most days. Most days, not all days. And that's that's the important piece. And this is exactly the way to look at it is um, we can't have it all. 
in the sense we can't have it all at once, right? Human beings have a certain amount of capacity. And while you can learn how to increase your capacity, you cannot uh, increase the electrical output on the cortex of your brain, right? You can't. So you, you emit a certain amount of electricity on the cortex of your brain, and then that electricity powers everything from your body functions to your thought and everything in between. And so what you have to know when you, when you look at it from that viewpoint, which has nothing to do even with men and women on that level, right? It just has to do with, we have a limited amount of RAM and Contrary to a computer, we cannot go and upgrade our RAM. <laughs> so what that means is that our body is a genius of energy distribution, mm. meaning our body will always pull the energy from where it's not needed towards where it's needed. And that's a very genius thing. So for instance, right now, the three of us are sitting down and we're looking at the screen and we're thinking and talking. So very little energy is needed in, let's say, our feet, our thighs, our lower body, our pelvic floor, even our belly. It's not, we're parked essentially. So all that energy will go where we need it, which is up. And it gets up into the neck, the shoulders, the jaw, the head, uh, the eyes, and that's that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's the genius of our system that says, we don't need it down here. Let's bring it where we need it. So that all said, that's a perfectly fine thing. However, human beings are also built by repetition and so whatever we do the most becomes the predominant pattern and so when you look at how much of the day we spend in the upper part of our body and the head and thinking and doing you can imagine that we are like those bodybuilders that you sometimes see who have these massive upper bodies and those speak little legs <laughs> that's us energetically right so when we talk about um the superwoman syndrome and doing too much that in itself that we i'll talk about that some more in a moment but what we're doing that doing too much typically happens in the upper third of our body so we have like we have you know this this massive muscle up there and not a lot of muscle down where um pleasure intuition power enjoyment play but also reproductive organs sexual organs sit so when we look at what happens to most of us on a regular basis is we have too much muscle in one area not enough muscle in the other area and we don't do the things often we don't do the things not always but that would properly counteract that constant upward motion of the energy of course, then if you strain on top of doing these things, meaning it's hard or you're anxious or it takes a lot of work or it's unfamiliar new things, you'll add a little bit of squeeze to your body to squeeze the last bit of energy upwards. And then you have a tight pelvic floor, uh, you know, a tight, excuse my language. No, I'm not going to say yes. it. No, I'll say it. I'll say it for you. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, and thighs and, and you're disconnected from the ground because everything squeezes up. So 
with that scenario in mind, how do we work with it? Well, it's not, it's not that we can't have, maybe can't have all, right? Because for instance, if you have like a world-class career and children at the same time, something's gotta give somewhere, right? So for instance, uh, because you, you can't be, you know, um, outsourcing well you some people do but you can't outsource that part you know and not be there when you're flying somewhere else or things like that so there might be adjustments to be done but um we can have many things if we are aware of those mechanisms and if we make sure that those muscles meaning the lower body muscles with everything that means enjoyment play fun rest power, intuition, and pleasure is equally worked out as the upper part of our body. Now, that, of course, means you'll have to spend some time working those places out. And you can't just expect that some man or, you know, partner or or situation or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Or strong vibrator or whatever. Right. Uh, <laughs> somehow magically gets you there and keeps you there. Yeah, you can have state experiences of accessing those parts, but you're going to have to develop some proper muscles. And then you can go, I'm going to go now and for the next whatever, five hours, I'm going to kick ass in the office and I'm going to do all the things I need to do with my head without fetishizing uh, you know, being in your masculine, I'm I'm going to start gagging if I hear this one more time, right? Yes. It's such a, it, it's become such a trope of somebody who hasn't thought about the fact that you can be a woman and kick ass and be in business and think and talk and give orders. And that doesn't make you less. It just, you know, if you're really good at that, you can become a master of this, but then if you have nothing, if you have no mastery in your in in your lower pleasure body, well, then you get stuck there. But that's also true the other way around. There's people who have spent so much time um, just you know working out their pleasure body, but they can't string three sentences together or or right be on time or not lose their keys that's equally deficient and both get somewhat fetishized in certain communities and groups the the key to proper women's empowerment or human empowerment right beyond women is that you know what you got and you make the most with it and you have powerful tools for both so when you want to kick ass and take names later you can do so and then when you come home and you want to have a relationship with yourself and or a partner, then you have tools for that as well. Mm -hmm. And then you become a rounded human and, and individual. And from that place, you can decide what do you want and what are you willing to give up because it doesn't serve your pursuits. Yeah. Right. But what I'm hearing from you, and I'm so relating to this, everything you're saying is that for many women, we are living from, you know, here up the chest up, the uh, spending so much time in the head. And if there's any trauma in your history, and what do they say? Two thirds of women have some kind of sexual trauma. We sort of vacated the lower part of our bodies and we're not resting. We're not in pleasure. We're not um, moving in the ways that would make us more balanced. Um, so I feel like this is a beautiful segue to talk about 
um, some of the nonlinear movement that you teach because it's been profound for me. I got your book in 2018 and I was actually supposed to come and study with you at SLN. And um, some of my kids got sick as a mom of three. And so I canceled the trip. Um, but I started to practice nonlinear movement. And now as a yoga teacher, I literally start every single class with nonlinear movement. <laughs> and I tell them I learned it from a teacher named Michaela Bohm. So I do <laughs> tell people about your work, but it's been profound. And my students, if I don't teach it, they ask me later, why didn't we start with that? So can you tell our listeners and also maybe how this evolved for you? I mean, you're the creator of it. You sort of discovered it. Um, and why maybe that's one of the antidotes to us getting out of our heads and moving down into our pelvis and our hips and our bellies. Yeah, well, that's a whole very, very long story and there's a lot in there, but I'll try and give you a bit of a, of a thing uh, about it in the context of what you just said with uh, people don't want to be in their lower body. And you're absolutely right. People don't want to be in their lower body either because of trauma or because they have so much muscle in the upper body, but also because when you actually, um, you know, access the more body feeling parts of your body, which is right when we talk about the rewilding coming back to nature, which is the wild woman archetype, um, which is the you know the, the the natural part of your body, what you find there is often very unpleasant. Mm. And so the reason why a lot of people prefer linear, mechanical, or structured, um, you know, access to their body and not um, wild undulating. Um, non-linear part to their body is that what you find down there, meaning the first layers of, of actual feeling are typically very unpleasant because it's the stuff that you're skipping over. So uh, contrary to, to modern belief, embodiment isn't pleasant to begin with often. Mm -hmm. Right. Embodiment can be profoundly unpleasant yes, and, yes. and and anxiety producing and everything because you go, shit, this hurts, right? Oh, God, all these things I haven't felt in a while, physically, emotionally, mentally, right? So I started with a central uh, channel practice and that ch central channel practice is essentially a yogic practice to clear inner channels. And meaning it's an energetic practice, you know, uh, it's the best way to describe it. And then when I really got heavily into trauma therapy, which I did as part of my training and um, also, uh, you know, related aspects within the context of, uh, I worked very um, intensely with drug addiction and trauma and drug addiction and personality disorders and all the things where there's a dissociation in a sense that there isn't feeling in the body for all kinds of reasons, right? So um, I got very heavily into, into polyvagal theory and then um, worked with a woman for a long time who did um, craniosacral therapy and you know all these kind of adjunct things to my actual a trauma therapy training that um, made it very, very clear that if 
one would involve the body. It has to be done in a way that is non-force, non-impositional. So I'm like really, really, really intense about training people. You know, we have certified nonlinear teachers. There's uh, close to 20 modalities now. And I'm very, very specific with the wording, um, the kind of instruction you give or don't give, the way it's it's given to people so it supports them without activating any of the usual things that happen when you start embodiment practice or when you have trauma in the system. So it's a highly non-impositional practice that's very empowering because it's non-impositional and because the facilitator does not tell people how to feel or what to do or go to the edge of things or you know all the things that people tend to want to do. So it's a it's a very, very heavily trauma-informed practice. I've used it with highly, highly traumatized demographics in the development stage of it. And so it encompasses um, very specific nervous system regulation principles. It encompasses polyvagal uh, theory. It encompasses my own personal practice, uh, my clinical experience. And it's become, it's still a very living, breathing method. I'm still developing new methods. I still teach it several times a month myself. I teach teachers, our teachers teach it. I still use it in my private um, practice. And so the reason it works is because it gives access to the body without making anyone wrong or freaking anyone out and anyone can do it i've taught people in wheelchairs i've taught people who were you know nine months pregnant i've taught people who um had no sensation in there there was this one woman i worked with for a long time she had no sensations in her arms at all and um so there's you know many many applications many ways to work with it but how it dovetails with the rest of my work is that it gives access to those parts of us without, um, I don't know what the word would be like, without the disempowerment of um, a structure that needs to be achieved or, or rebelled against. That's the best way I can describe it very quickly. So when you, what jumped out at me for women especially is that the idea that the solar plexus is our second brain. And when we are completely cut off from that or even partially cut off, we're also cut off from our wisdom and intuition and all the things that live there, all the gifts that we have, especially as women. Um, but but for me, that really struck me because we we walk around with our big brains doing, 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 achieving, believing we're doing all we're supposed to do to feel success, but we're literally leaving part of our, part of our power untapped. And so um, thinking of it that way for me was really helpful that, that it's not, I mean, certainly all the release and the trauma that lives there, but also the power that is covered up and going unutilized for women. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not only the solar plexus, it's the pelvic floor, really, right? I mean, the the solar plexus, yeah. the solar plexus is a nerve plexus and as such, very, very important. 
right? And of course, we can go in from the nerve plexus into the entire gut, which is a whole other wondrous universe of uh, experience, right? From everything from trauma to uh, how the gut biome interacts with our brain and our mental health and, you know, all of those kind of things, but also very, very important. And I think, Betsy, this might be one of the reasons why your students all want nonlinear at the beginning of um, of a yoga class, right? The, the, the thing that we don't get to actually access is our pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. most, most activities, to a certain degree, even yoga, um, is not centered around the pelvic floor. It's centered around the structures around the pelvic floor and it's centered around the structures around our skeletal system and our muscular system but it takes out it, it leaves out an area that is so i don't even know how to, how to say that it's like i think it's one of the final frontiers that we'll see being discovered um as holding so much that pelvic we, floor you think is yeah, the final pelvic, frontier yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really think, right, that the pelvic floor is the final frontier mm. as far as um, not only feeling and, you know, intuition, but also power, right, pleasure, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well-being, health. Right? One of the things that's um, not spoken about a lot, once again, right, people tend to get a bit of knowledge in the in the pop culture sense and then start running with it right so now we're all fetishizing uh relaxation over and fight or flight is bad right it's like rest and digest is everything fight or flight is bad you have to do the breathing and the this and the that so that you're because of course everybody's very very stressed and so it makes sense that you want to de-escalate from that but the thing that a lot of people don't know or don't say is that for true homeostasis you do need both systems okay. working together right you need sympathetic and parasympathetic and they need to regulate each other and so this constant attention on uh, down regulating with the breath, but um, you know, essentially not allowing the system to balance itself naturally. Once again, we come to the rewilding, right? Where you give the authority for things that the body knows back to the body instead of going, I know better than my body. Know, my brain knows, not right. my, yeah. I can read my body into submission. In the short term, yes, of course, if you're super stressed, you'll have to do some breath practice. But in the long term, you want to give that back. So why is the pelvic floor so important? Because the pelvic floor, by the very function it holds, is often the trigger for all these cascades of um, you know, things that happen within the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So instead of like forcing breath into the body, you could also just relax, to, uh, learn how to relax your pelvic floor, which drops the energy naturally, which pulls the diaphragm down, which deepens the breath, which relaxes the belly, which widens the solar plexus. And so there's many, many things that happen in the pelvic floor that haven't been really discussed. And not only sexual trauma sits there, but all other kinds of things, um, but also 
you know, you don't have to be massively traumatized to have a tight pelvic floor. It's yeah, we live in a traumatizing culture, yeah. right? Right. Well, I think mean, everyone's got trauma and, yeah. and really. And it's loud. And it's, in, my, in my trainings, in my teacher trainings, I spent like an, a three-hour uh, lecture just on describing how overwhelm and overload um, affects the pelvic floor, right? And then we hear, oh, you, your pelvic floor is weak, do kegels, right? Well, when your pelvic floor is weak from constantly, the muscles constantly clenching, then clenching your muscles a bit more isn't going to have the desired result. And, right. you know, so, so there's all these things we're still working out um, in order to actually be holistically expressed. Yeah. And so... Um, even that's why I'm saying no, no offense to yoga. I love yoga. That's not the point. But in yoga, often in the standing poses, you also you do elongations and you do certain pulls and certain things that still require attention. And very, very rarely do we get to let it all go. Um, also, because of course, right, nobody wants their belly to hang out. Nobody wants to, you know, uh, there's all these things that, um, we kind of get under when we do nonlinear movement yeah. because none of those things apply when you do nonlinear movement. And so people find it to be such a relieving practice because it, it essentially allows the body to be a body and do what the body does best, which is run the body. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, intuitive. I feel like it's such an intuitive that, yes. that like if I can, I can use my big brain to analyze and figure out what I think is going on in a certain part of my body. But if I really drop into that intuitive nonlinear space, it sort of shows like the body can show you in a way that your mind can never figure it out. And that's for me has been the deep power of like, what does my body want to show me about this? Yeah. So thank you so much. I just want to express such deep gratitude for you naming this process and and uh, for me, it's like a permission giving of like, oh, it's okay to just be on my hands and knees and let my body show me what it wants to show me. Um, yeah. That along with your, I, the foundational practice that you talk about in your book of just moving what you're feeling, which obviously ha can happen in yoga class through nonlinear movement, but also in your basement with some good music, which is such a simple thing for especially women to think about um, how often do we let ourselves just dance and release and be free. Yeah. Um, and when we that's see someone often. who, yeah, not that, not that often. Unfortunately. So that's a, that was a gift that I picked up too, is just, you don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of time. You just need to be intentional and allow yourself to feel what you need to feel. Yeah. Uh, I do of, not, I, I do moving what you're feeling anytime I'm in the shower. Mm. Oh, I love that. Right? Because I have to wait for my conditioner to do its thing. I'm like, yes. And so there's always time to do moving what you're feeling. And that constant checking in with your system not only sensitizes you to the messages of your body, but it also brings kind of the natural genius of the body online. So you can always do it. And it's very, very, um, the, this is the thing, right? That that a lot of people don't want to understand. It's the simple things that matter. 
because, and people go, I can't believe something this simple works. Well, the answer is the reason it works is because it's simple. You can do it anywhere. Uh, it doesn't have a barrier to access. You don't, like you said, you don't need to have money. You don't need to be have privilege. You don't need to have, um, you know, a special outfit or whatever people like to have. You can just move your body. That's your birthright. And I'm having an aha right now about this path that you're talking about is so feminine in terms of freedom, space, intuition, no structures. And I'm even thinking about the yoga tradition in which I was trained is so masculine, structure, uh, forms, poses. poses, and why I have struggled against it at many times. And so thank you for helping me see, uh, and it makes sense that you're coming from this feminine tradition. Your teacher was a female and um, it's all flowing out of that. Yes, and that's not to say, by the way, that she wasn't also capable of having a lot of structure. I did a lot of meditation and practice in the early parts of my training that were very, um, you know, full on uh, linear. But then you have to go, well, where are you at home? And this brings us back to the wild woman archetype, right? the wild woman archetype gives us permission to determine where is our home and actually joyously and unabashedly live there and then have the other aspects available when needed. And so, you know, so for instance, I love, I am like, I don't even know how to describe this. I am such a nerd for structure and systems. Mm. I, I love doing that i mean you should see like what in your I, business yeah life. for your emails or like all of it organization all of it. in your home all of it my, my home is like i mean if i tell you how my my storage units are organized you're gonna <laughs> say i'm insane right <laughs> like i have like a like i have a numbered box system that has an inventory oh on gosh. a computer wow. so when i'm in Europe, right on the computer i love that yeah, on a computer. When when I'm in in Europe and my housekeeper goes, where are the light bulbs? I can tell her. I can go. It's hardware box number three, right? Or she can look herself nowadays. And so I love structure and I love organization because it actually allows the energy to flow freely, right? Because freedom. It brings the, stronger, the stronger your channels, the more freedom you have. So I would certainly say part of my feminine genius is structure and organ. So much structure. Oh, and that's right? so good to say out loud because yeah. Yeah. we often think we have to choose one way of being. And you're you're right. There's so much freedom when you do have systems and when you can use your your brain and your your maybe more masculine traits to, to create those, it allows for the freedom then for you to be in your feminine power. Um, and it's know. all integrated. Exactly. And that's the thing. I don't, I can be all of the things that we just talked about because I don't have anything floating around that. And when I do, right, because sometimes these things fall into disarray, I can immediately feel it as a diminishment of that energy. Um, it, it's 
instant because I don't have proper flow because I don't have proper go, meaning right, my structures are not such that I can really flow. So I'm in this weird in-between space. Let's share that with listeners. The go and the flow for me was also really big. Yes. Another way to think of the masculine and feminine traits, right? Yes. And how important they both are and how they integrate and work together. Uh, yeah, and that's why I don't like calling them masculine feminine because, well, first of all, right, people have different ways of identifying that. There's a lot of dogma around that uh, also from people who use it in a very wrong way. It's not men are masculine and women are feminine, right? It's But that's how it's often used. And when it's used like that, we're right back in the 1950s where women are supposed to be behaving feminine and, you know, and men are supposed to behave masculine. And if they have emotions, that's, you know, not holding the edges of whatever, right? It, so when you go with go and flow, you avoid all of that, which is mm-hmm. such a minefield, not only externally, but internally, because it really, you know, it's just, it, it messes you up. Like I was just saying, structure to me is part of what I'm good at. It's just what I'm good at. It's not, it's not a value. It's right? your, it's your natural innate gift. And then there's other gifts I don't have. <laughs> Quite a few of those. right? <laughs> and, and, and so I don't have those, but they're not, they're not judged as certain things. They're just, I have innate gifts and I have things that I'm not as developed at, and I can develop those perhaps, or decide not to. And there's certain things I don't want to develop, right? Because it's not worth it for me to develop those for the sake of that undulating unfolding. But one thing that I wanted to say, because we talked about structure in yoga, Angela Farmer, I don't know. I've studied with her multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. Angela Farmer found a way. She did. She was the Iyengar that. Yeah. to the feminine yeah, yeah I was very drawn to her and have studied with her a couple times yeah. so yeah she's amazing she is amazing yeah, yeah so and I, what you're talking about your awareness of structure flow you're good at certain things or certain things you won't don't you won't develop or don't want to develop is you said the wild woman will naturally develop into the wise woman and that was so powerful to read that the wise woman is free right there comes a point and where the wild woman turns into this wise woman which is clearly these to me feels like where you are landed at this point in your life unfortunately that is true and what i mean with unfortunately um is that it's something that comes with experience and age right you can't I just wrote a whole substack on the wise woman um, where I quoted some of the book because uh, you, you can't you can't think your way into the wise woman or uh, earn your way into the wise woman. It's essentially the privilege of having lived long enough. Yeah. And so when I say, unfortunately, uh, that privilege of having lived long enough, of course, comes with a fair share of losses and tragedy and grief Pain. and yeah. Uh, pain and all of that but that is also the gift in it because it really allows us to go well you know what these things are no longer important or 
um, I'm no longer willing to give importance to certain things. And that you can only get through experience, hard earned, sometimes earned with a lot of, you know, sadness and pain, but nonetheless earned. And that is the thing with the wise woman, that the wise woman is the natural extension of the wild woman, um, as in tempered by life and circumstance. And you have only two options. You can joyously, um, you know, ride that experience or you can get horribly bitter and mean. Mm. So <laughs> your choice. But right? the wise woman, right? That's that's something else. Can you just spend a couple minutes on your take on relationships? Um share that in your book and kind of the the, the, the relationships, the, the spark and and then the relationship piece and how those play off each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, I spent a good 15 years counseling uh, couples, mostly couples and individuals in the realm of relationship uh, before I started public teaching. And so a lot of what is now in the book and I'm working on the next book and the whole thing, which is more relationship oriented um, and the stuff that you saw on Netflix and all of those things come from an understanding that within a relationship, there are certain patterns that have to do with everything we talked about. And um, one of the one of the, let's say, casualties of modern involvement in so much go, meaning upper body um, energetic engagement, is that for most people, uh, the more sensual, sexual, um, attraction aspect has really uh, suffered. And there are a, a number of factors in there. The most important factor nowadays that has even changed since I wrote the book is the fact that people are not connected with their bodies in a meaningful way that allows them to actually feel another human. Because um, you cannot meaningfully engage with another human uh, without your body feeling their body. And so if you're disconnected from your own body, which is, by the way, how I started teaching nonlinear as a, as a public modality and not just a one-on-one -on -one modality, because in the wor relationship workshops, I would, and in my relationship work, even in one-on-one -on -one work, I'd see how disconnected people were and sometimes disassociated and you can be the best relationship counselor in the world if people are checked out none of what is um achieved in the session sticks because exactly. they're not even there exactly. and and so you know that i think more than ever before the coming back to the body is really the first and foremost tool in relationship and relationship counseling and sexual counseling mm -hmm. long before we look at how go and flow has a polarity to it meaning there's attraction or repulsion there's um you know certain uh kind of almost mechanical aspects to how attraction work between two people but before we even go there if you can't feel your own body how in the world are you going to feel your partner's body yes. and that's always the first go-to for me in my work is um, getting people access to their own body and then their partner's body. I feel like that is a great way to sum up this interview. And the heart of your work is 
you have to be in the body, <laughs> like get into the body, be in the body. So thank you so much for this powerful wisdom. I honestly could sit here for another five hours and just listen to you. I've been listening to your podcast all week and I'm like, just keep going, Michaela, just keep going. But we do always have one question that we end with, which is based on the phenomenal uh, work of Clarissa Pinkola Estes, which is the doorway that you took into your life as a wild woman. And so Kate, there's four doors and or she might be one door, you might be all of the doors, but we're curious to know which door you feel like you went through. Yeah. So if you have a deep, deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you can almost not bear it. That is a door. And if you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. So which door or doors resonate with you? I'd say three, probably the most and four. Yeah. But definitely three is, is I think the one where I would say um, that's, that's still till this day, my access. Yeah. Water, sky, nature. And that foundation for you really comes through in your writing. And even in our interview today, the power of nature for you has guided your life and really is the gift you now share with all of us is that connection to nature. So Thank you so much for, and we would love for our listeners to know all about where they can find you trainings, books, all that good stuff. And we will put all of this in the show notes, all the links too, so people can easily uh, find you, but whatever you'd like to share about what's coming up, we'd love to hear. Well, this uh, post pandemic, there's several ways to go, right? I still teach regularly online in all time zones, more or less. I do uh, always two stream teaching where people in Europe and the UK can join an early, early morning stream for me, early morning for them afternoon. And then I do uh, US and Australia, Asia in the afternoon. So there is always uh, the possibility to access, um, you know, guided nonlinear sessions all the way to uh, teacher trainings. I do a wild woman circle teacher training where I teach people how to facilitate uh, women's groups. That's actually the next thing that I'm doing in January. Um, and then there's also nonlinear teacher training and that's all done online. So that's one option. There's lots of online classes, but I've started teaching retreats again. And so there's, uh, of course, you can come to my ranch in Ojai, which is really my personal wild, sacred, special place where I have a, you know, the ability to do retreats. And then we just found this really lovely area in Portugal where we teach and um, a very, very beautiful place in um, uh, Victoria, Australia. So there's live workshops and we've just put all the, well, the first dates, they're not all of them, but the first dates up. So there's those kind of things that are, you know, involve um, uh, regular like live things online or in person then I have like a, an entire catalog of uh, instant access self-paced programs everything from relationship to non-linear uh, embodiment the wild woman's way online course the toolkit you know everything so there's something for for any budget slash uh, interest on instant access as well and um, then there's the podcast, which is free, of course. I have a whole bunch of free material. I've just created some free material around 
feminine embodiment. If you go on my website, which you will post, there's a little pop-up that um, leads to a quiz. And then the quiz leads to- I took to it last quiz. night. Yes, yeah, I took it last That's night. That's a good day. So you take the quiz and then from the quiz, you get eight suggestions and, and they're guided. I made these videos, it's all free. Um, and then at the end, you get that those eight practices, those eight videos uh, on an on-demand like online portal so you can revisit them. So those are some free things that I'm offering so that anybody who wants to get more into their body can regardless of you know what kind of access they have. So there's always free stuff, a lot of it. And then the thing that I'm most excited about after Alex, yes, <laughs> it, it's such a minor thing, but I'm just so happy about it. And they just arrived this morning, so I can hmm. show them off. Oh, uh, are they cards? They're, they're cards. They're they're shrink wrapped, so it's a bit hard to see. Um, I created this set of uh, practice cards for flavor expression, right, which I talk about in the book, yeah. different flavors of the feminine. Uh, for the flavor retreats, I started a new series called the Flavor Retreats, where we practice all the different expressions, um, which is very therapeutic, but also incredibly fun. And it really helps with getting the spark back in relationship and things like that. So I made props and then I made those props. And I'm like, wait. I should make cards oh. out of these props. Then I made the cards to take to the workshop. And then I was like, I could write some practice instructions. Then I did that. And then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to write an oral. <laughs> so so uh, each card, there's 55 cards. Each card has an oracle meaning. So you can just use them as an oracle deck. But they are also very specific. There's practice instructions for practicing with the flavors. And I'm in the middle of making a little instruction video um, that will go along with it. I am so ordering those I today. Know. I am a huge you Oracle card fan. Be quick, because I did a limited first oh, run. Okay. okay, we're gonna do that right up right now. We're doing it. I, you know, I had to order them unseen, so I was like, oh, I'm not gonna order that many in case it's horrible. Um, I have to say, the cards are really, really, really lovely, um, and I'm super happy, you know, with the, how they turned out. But it, didn't know if they were going to turn out okay. Um, so there's only, I think, 20 left. But then on the next round, I'll I'll make them available again before Christmas. So, okay. And I'll send you the link. There's a link on the homepage of my website, but it's a separate website because okay. I've already started the next set. That's oh, amazing. I love how it's creative are going. You are such a beautiful example of, as an entrepreneur, as a embodied woman, a wise woman, that a wild and woman. flow. Yes. <laughs> that I just your energy literally comes through the screen. And I just want you to know how much I've appreciated spending time with you. And because well, I missed you in Esalon in 2019, I'm I'm going to find you at another in-person retreat. So I look forward to yes. that. Oh, you can come to Ojai, which is always yeah. fun. Yeah. yeah. Or if you feel particularly uh inspired, you can come to Portugal. Uh, because that's oh, not that much further for from where you are. So okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Thank, yeah. thank you so much, Michaela, for all that you've very, very welcome. Enjoyed this conversation. Yes. Hello, listeners. We want to let you know that we have so much gratitude that you join us in these conversations every week. We want to continue to uplift 
and connect with women-owned businesses and businesses that are supporting women. So if you are one of those or have a recommendation for someone that may want to sponsor an episode, please have them reach out at tendherwild.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Kate Moreland Coaching and Heartland Yoga. As a coach, I am an advocate for authenticity and well-being for individuals, organizations, and communities. Through my coaching work, I like to help you connect to your authenticity. Whether you're an individual, a leader, or an organization, your creative power lies in your authenticity. Doing the work to understand your strengths and acknowledge the patterns and rocks that are in your way is the path to well-being. Whether it's your career or your relationship with yourself or others, transformative change begins within. You can reach me at katemorelandcoaching.com. Heartland Yoga has been in business for nearly 15 years. I founded this studio with the intention for it to be a safe place where people could come and heal. I also knew that I wanted a business that fostered community and connection. So if you are looking to deepen your yoga practice, heal from physical, emotional, mental wounds, or simply connect with people who are like-minded, Heartland Yoga is a place that we would love to welcome you into, whether it's online or in person. You can find out more information at www.heartlandyoga.com. And now the amazing singer-songwriter, Lissy Morris with Wild West. Thanks for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Come back and rewild with us again next week.